We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Nosotros crecemos cuando damos. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Welcome to ROG, Return on Generosity. I'm your host, Shannon Cassidy. This podcast celebrates generosity at work, not financial giving. Giving valuable time, mutual respect, alternative perspectives, and genuine collaboration. Our special guest today is Lane Hensley. He's the COO, co-founder, and head dream chaser of Odyssey Teams Leadership and Team Building. We met at one of his transformational sessions when I was learning how to lead the Helping Hands program as a train the trainer. What I admire most about Lane is his heart, positive energy, and passion to serve. Welcome to ROG, Lane. All right. Thank you so much, Shannon. It's a privilege to be here. Thanks any listeners out there. Shoo, ready to dive in. Let's go. Let's do it. So Lane, tell us a little bit about your story. Let's see. My story started in 1967 in Oroville, California. The child, youngest of three. So mom and dad did a good job. My dad was in construction. I was the typical kind of little youngest wanting attention and trying to figure out my way in the world, uh, much like my son, my youngest son right now. And found my way into high school and sports. Uh, my brother and I were kind of tennis players. My distant cousin was a pro. And so always loved athletics and just kind of growing up learning through um, backpacking and hunting and fishing. We were actually gold miners, believe it or not. My dad worked on one of the last hydraulic mines of gold in California history. And so we had dredges and rivers and just filled with lots of fun adventures as a family. We went to church a lot and that kind of thing, went to Sound of Summer camps and things. And, you know, everybody, I think, whether you remember your childhood or you've got kids, you know, there's definitely lots of forks in the roads I look back to and thought, okay, what am I going to do with my life? What am I good at? I'll never forget, you know, being uh, in the back of the, the church bus I was in a play and uh, I can't believe I did this, but I was singing in like a church play as a kid. I, I was in choir and stuff, um, but, and uh, she may have said this to everybody on the bus, but she's like, you know, God's going to do something special in your life. And I know this isn't like a religious show and stuff, but for me, it was, it planted the seed that like forces in the universe are working toward you doing something special. And she may have said that to everybody, but I heard it, you know, and even though my life took some twists and turns after high school and college and kind of dropping out of college and then driving heavy equipment because my dad was in construction. And I had this epiphany, like, you know, I, I want to be educated. First of all, I felt this path that, like I said, this seed was planted. So I got back into school. My mentor, my tennis coach loved me up and got me back into the sport. I had a major shoulder surgery as I picked up volleyball and tennis. And so I was playing two college sports and I fixed all my grades, ended up getting to Chico State and graduating in a 3.5 or something. It's been quite the odyssey. And that's the name of our company is Odyssey, a journey. It's been quite the journey marked with notable occurrences for sure. Yes, absolutely. And then you had a major fork in the road, as you would call it, in 2014. Tell us about your fight with cancer. That's a good one. Yeah. So here I, I start this business, you know, Odyssey, and we're traveling around the world. And, and by some miracle, I had been doing women with cancer survivors retreats for like 15 years. So I'm the only man, me and my business partner, Bill, going to this multi-day retreat. And we're talking to women at all levels of the cancer experience. Um, I had lost my nephew to brain tumor, my sister's oldest, so like the first nephew of the family. So nine year battle. 
So cancer was like this thing that was, I was around and I had experienced a lot of. And, and for some reason, when uh, I woke up one day really early and I, let's see, I played basketball like 5.30 in the morning. Then I was playing volleyball that afternoon and I was going to get the results of this test because we had found a lump in my neck um, as I was driving to the airport one day to go give a keynote speech. And, uh, and I, as soon as I felt that lump, I thought, wow, this feels a lot like the story a friend of mine, Scott Greenberg, who's also a keynote speaker, tells about non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And I just knew this is, this is the beginning of my cancer journey, personally. Um, and so, yep, sure enough, it, it, you know, I was playing volleyball, like I said, that day, and I got the call. And it's weird, you know, you think they sit you down in the doctor's office and they, you know, prepare you somehow and there's like incense burning and they would say like, are you ready to hear? You know, like, what's the results, doc? But she just calls me on my cell phone. And she's like, well, it's not what we want to hear. It's, it's cancer. Like, just like that, boom. And, and I go call my wife. My wife's a nurse. Um, she's the medical advisor of my whole family. And, and the, the next level journey began. And I think, honestly, in the, in the spirit of generosity and the spirit of giving, that was the moment that stopped me. And I thought, wow, you know, have I given enough? I, I had all these amazing people in place in my life. The person who ended up doing my radiation treatments was on our front porch, sitting out front within like 24 hours because we had known him through school. And my anesthesiologist was someone I'd known for years. So all the you know, when you're when you're generous with yourself and your life, you know, people they're in position for you, whether you need them or not, and whether you know it or not. So weirdly, as soon as I was diagnosed, I thought, okay, huh, what should I do? Like, I want to do something big. So I, I donated my ski boat to a, a Sunrise Ministry, like a houseboat ministry. And I just kind of went on this like giving spree. <laughs> I don't know whether I was clearing out my house. I replaced all those things immediately because I had a hall pass with my wife to pretty much buy anything I wanted. Um, but the cancer journey, I'm, I'm now seven plus years out. Thank you for sharing that story with us, Lane, because here you are 23 years already in business because Odyssey began in 1991, correct? Then you have this major life change. And at that moment, you ask yourself, have I given enough? So how did that impact Odyssey? Yeah, well, through a series of miracles, I met my business partner, Bill, and we started doing experiential training. Odyssey is evolving. In 1999, we were challenged by a client to do something that had never been done before. And we built dog houses as part of a Habitat for Hounds. It was a reconstruction time for Lucent Technologies, and they wanted to actually construct something. Like, we want to do something that's never been done before. And it was such a big hit that uh, he said, well, the president of the supply chain said, if you can do something more portable, I'll take you around the world. And so we created the bike building programs. We were both avid cyclists, and we thought, what could be more life-changing than a bike? You know, when you think about, my grandma gave me this bike, or grandpa, or your parents, you know, it's, it's a moment where your world gets bigger. So creating a journey of the mind as much as something, we always say, give them something to think about, something to do and something to feel and do that in the right combination to create some transformational moment. We are all in the business of giving and we got really focused on how can we use giving as that epiphany for people to connect the dots between what you do every day is giving. The business of giving is the moniker of Odyssey teams. And how do we awaken the fact that we are all in that business all the time, even if we're not volunteering for the Peace Corps or something? Exactly. So what made you think about offering that service in the corporate environment, in corporations? What made you want to 
make that contribution to organizations and business communities? Yeah, well, I think, again, some of these series of miracles, my business partner organized a thing called the Greek streak in college because his roommate's dad had Lou Gehrig's disease. So he's a finance major and he's just kind of like his new passion was like to put on this run and raise money and how that changed his life. And then we're doing these women with cancer survivors retreats and they were struggling financially. So we did a a fun run and raised like $25,000 for a program that we were just hired to be a part of. And the more we got connected to our clients and the actual work that they were doing, the more inspired we were. So when times get tough and and it's hard and we went through another change and I don't like my manager and oh my gosh, you know, we, we get very inwardly focused because we want to just survive. Our reflexive survival instincts can take over. And without being reflexive, we get our blinders on and we just start going, oh, it's Monday, huh? another terrible Monday, can't wait till Friday. Oh, it's Monday again. And we want to provide opportunities, what we call, where we knock them alive, you know, don't knock them dead, like knock them alive, like wake them up, like stop them where they are, have them look around and go, whoa, it's not just another Monday. It's another opportunity for me to bring value to someone. Who is that someone? Look around a minute and you'll find them. And maybe it's you, your kids. I mean, it's everywhere. We're all in this really complicated matrix of support and value and giving and receiving. And it's a beautiful stew, but we can lose sight of that in our human reflex to survive, you know, and be comfortable. I love that knock them alive, Lane. And I've also heard you say that generosity is a brain hack and that it tells you to think about more than just survival. And that's exactly what you're saying is like, why would we want to wake people alive? Yeah, yeah. The brain is really good at taking shortcuts. It's really good at, you know, we'll get into some of the science of really the work that we do. So to knock somebody alive, you have to create an opportunity where they run smack into themselves, where you run smack into kind of what you saw as your limit. So when people think, oh, I'll make a, I'll tip this person at the the, the, the table, you know, 15% because everybody, well, I'm going to go big. I'll go for 17%. Have you ever left $100 on a $20 bill at a restaurant? Do it. When you see the expression on that person's face or when you leave and you just imagine that you have exceeded someone's expectation by so far and created a level of value to them, it's beautiful. Like how many apples are in one seed? How much value can come from one little act of kindness or act of generosity? And the brain hack of giving your mind has this thing, your reticular activating system, and it's surveying your life and it's selecting things that are important to it. And if your sole importance for a day is to survive it, like, oh, I just never have enough money and I just got to pay my bills and get through, then you're going to see stuff that, that your confirmation bias will see a world that provides just enough for you to survive. And if everybody just woke up and said, what could I do that would, that would surprise somebody today? What could I do that would be really generous? And it hacks your brain into then producing the environment that creates those opportunities. We know it works negatively. If I wake up and say, oh, today's going to be terrible, then you turn around and boom, you're in traffic and you're like, yep, I told you so. And, and then if it, we know that it's four times more likely that something will happen a negative over a positive. Negative is four times more powerful than positive. And if we say it out loud, it's 10 times more apt to happen. So if I'm saying negative things out loud, I'm 40x more likely that's going to happen. So I got to back that up and, and really set my course and not just let the day happen to me. I know I'm kind of all over the, the place here, but I'm so passionate about hacking the perception we have about what's possible when it comes to abundance. And when we created the bike building program, we created the hand building program where we're building prosthetic hands 
and putting them on people. You know, I, w- I remember the first time I saw kind of the infancy of the hand, I thought, I bet I could figure out a way to give 10,000 of those hands away. And working with our clients in our trainings to do that. And then my little voice in my head is like, 100,000. You know, I was like, whoa, no way, I can't do that. You know, so you got to like get to a place where it scares you and drives you like, yeah. It scares you. Yes, I love that. So you're hacking the brain and you're you're feeding it positive fuel. How do you do this, practically speaking? Give us daily habits of yours that we could mirror. You know, on your drive to work, you hit a red light. You can either be like, oh, crud, I'm going to be a few minutes later. You'll be like, I'm going to take a deep breath and really just think about how much I appreciate the people I work with. There's 15 seconds. Okay, that was easy. And then I go, okay, hey, I'm going to surprise somebody today with a compliment. Maybe I'll seek out the person that I have conflict with because they challenge me the most, which I could see as challenge or they teach me the most. I don't want to see that. There's financial generosity and there's time generosity and there's focus and there's attention. There's so many ways. When we come back, Lane will share how knowing the end user changes the game. Introducing the brand new QuadPod Podcast Network. We're adding new podcasts every day. Visit QRDPRD.com and meet our podcasters. That's QRDPRD.com. And we're back with more from Odyssey Team's COO, co-founder, and head dream chaser, Lane Hensley. The bike program was born out of the idea of how do we break the training model of metaphor? Like I said, we're all in the business of giving. No matter what your company does, if you're not giving value to somebody somewhere, giving an impact on their life, you're not going to be profitable in the long term. You're just not. Sooner or later, the the laws of of nature and physics and everything's going to catch up to you unless you're contributing to the system. So we want them to see that bike as like complex parts that come together to create something we're familiar with, something we've experienced, something that brings joy. And when they build the bike, we say, get ready to present it. Well, they think it's some shtick to a neighboring group, you know? They might think, okay, here comes my cheesy presentation about features and benefits or whatever. And we say, well, you know, why present to each other? Let's present to the person whose life you're gonna change. And the door opens up and in come the kids that get that bike. We do the same thing with skateboards and we've been doing it virtually, which is awesome. And we've been building the hands virtually too. But when the door opens up and in come the kids to get the skateboard or get the bike, all of a sudden the team that was like done first, of course there's tears, there's emotion. And emotion is the anchor of our memory. And if we don't feel it, we don't remember it. So, and that's what I mean by giving a hundred dollar tip on a $20, you're going to remember that. They're going to remember. You create a moment where your mind, your heart, soul goes, I have more than enough. I can give to the people around me. And in that moment, when they thought their bike was done and they were done first, they were competing with their neighboring group or their skateboard or whatever, all of a sudden they're like, whoa, this could be better. And they get back to work. And then it's so easy to go, you know what? How come we don't work like that all the time? If you knew those kids were right outside the door and I said they were coming in in 15 minutes, how would you have worked differently? And the answer to that is how you should work every day. Right now, every person listening, Who's your least favorite customer? Who's your most favorite customer? And they're right outside your door right now, about to come in. And they're going to say, is your product ready for me? Have you created something that will give me value? Did you hear my request about what I wanted with your product and how it could impact my life? And how are we connecting around that relationship? Uh, And of course, I don't have to tell them because they experienced it in their cells. They remember that's because most people have enough knowledge. They're just not using it. You know, they they know how to work better. They just don't have the discipline to apply it because it's so much easier not to. 
Exactly. And you know, another thing that I recognize about facilitating these programs, because I had the exact same epiphany where I was leading all of these team development programs, we were getting those aha moments, but in a artificial kind of way. And then I learned about Odyssey. And ever since then, I've been a partner and supporter of Odyssey, because when the teams get the chance to have the experience that you're describing, and you've only described one of many experiences that you help teams to have is that light bulb goes on. Yes, about the the customers right outside the door. You see the quality control amp up as soon as that end user is in the room. The other thing that I noticed that is interesting is the perception of scarcity. We give each team a set number of tools and and supplies. And sometimes their supply doesn't work like the widget digit in the hand, for example, right? And you never said that you can't interact with other teams or you can't share parts with other teams. Tell us how that transfers into real life and just what, what, what you've experienced there. Okay, somehow the listener out there, like imagine we have 20 groups building 20 bikes, let's say, and we've divided the tools. So a group might have like 10 screwdrivers and another group has like 10 of the same wrench. And at some point people realize, whoa, oh, we need to share tools. Ta-da! If you haven't got to the core of the person and they just understand that abundance is a thing and they can be generous, they won't. They'll just share just enough, but they'll keep back some. It's so bizarre. Even though the goal is that all 20 teams complete the product, it's a human condition. As leaders, we have to understand it. Just like gravity, we have to learn to overcome it. It is a constant pull toward making sure I'm going to be okay. And that's just, congratulations, you're normal. We learn that it's it's reflexive to us because it helps us stay alive. Okay, great, but can we overcome it? So trust yourself, I'd say, but challenge your reflex. And how do you get people to really trust themselves and challenge that reflex? Uh, and, and it comes to life. And, and we try to set that in motion in all the programs where people can experience it and really learn from that. A sales manager will come to us and go, oh, our team is not collaborating and they really need to share resources and they, they just aren't sharing ideas and that's why we're not hitting our own. So what program will you do? We're like, oh, we could do the bike program. We describe it and they're like, okay, can you add a competitive element to it? And I'm like, what are you doing? That's the problem. The fact that you really think that what's gonna motivate them to create a great product is if we create an internal competition. Our competition is to compete with the old self. There's plenty of global competition. We don't need to look across the conference room at the people that get a paycheck from the same company. We just have to evolve past that, but it's such low hanging fruit that people pick it and they go, oh, we're not collaborating. Well, you taught them not to collaborate because you're awarding them individually. And yes, there needs to be recognition for for people who do outstanding things, but how can that feel like a shared victory? That reprogramming changes everything. It really does. And I think there are so many things about the experiences that you and Odyssey help facilitate it's almost like a life skills manual, right? This is how we would want to operate everywhere else in our life. We would want to have intent about what we're doing, have purpose and passion about it. We would want to delight someone, to give them something that they need for their life for whatever, whether it's a hand or bike, a skateboard, a playhouse, a a piece of artwork. And then we also want to work in community with other people. We want to collaborate. And I find that the participants have so many positive experiences, including how well they collaborate with and enjoy working with their teammates, the people that they're working on the project with, and then ultimately everyone else 
around who's doing similar work, which it, it to me, it's like a little microcosm of how teams and organizations can work. It comes full circle about every single one of us has the power to make a difference. Yeah, well said. We are herd animals. We want to feel a connection. We want to feel like the world needs us to some degree. And, you know, we believe that when we're a kindergartner, you know, a teacher asks for a volunteer, boom, our hand shoots up like, yeah, I matter. And then sooner or later, you know, we're made fun of and pretty soon we just start to disappear. That happens to new hires. Oh, I'm so excited to work here. Hey, talk to me in a month. You know, it's like all of a sudden, you know, they start to pull back until they essentially disappear. They may still get a paycheck, but they disappear uh, and they, they've lost that sense of abundance. Like I can be generous with myself, my ideas, my emotion, my investment into the company. And that's what you say ROI. You know, when you look at new hire expenses to onboard a person, if you have turnover issues, this is that thing you can't always measure, but you know is so important to the success of your company and its ability to be generous because we're all in the business of giving. How do we give our best as a company and as individuals? And that's what we do. You know, that's what I hope we've done a little of today in this conversation to wake people up, knock them alive. They run smack into their beliefs about themselves and what they can do to impact. And uh, yeah, that's beautiful. So let's close with one of your favorite quotes from Ben Lombardi. And the quote is people, we will chase perfection and we will chase it relentlessly knowing all the while we will never attain it. But along the way, we will catch excellence. Tell me what that says to you. You know, it's so hard to... Continuous improvement is so important. And if we just admit we won't be perfect, but we will strive for excellence, it keeps me motivated. And there's another quote I love, which is, you know, the hard work doesn't guarantee success, but the lack of it will guarantee failure. And we've got to continue to find things that drive us to work hard, strive for our very best, um, and know we won't be perfect. But along the way, we're going to achieve something that's beyond what we can anticipate when it comes to excellence. And I think that's the struggle for us, like that kindergartner raising their hand. Eventually, we stop taking risks that's beyond what we can anticipate as the outcome. And if we can always predict the outcome, we're not really stretching ourselves. And, you know, being generous and really creating a life of abundance, you've got to stretch yourself beyond the predictable outcome. Um, otherwise, we're just sort of reacting to sort of the next level of what's obvious. Um, and that's a fun journey that I love being a part of. Yeah. So well said. So, Lane, where can people find you? Of course, they can find us at our company, Odyssey. And I'm sure you'll put a link there because O-D-Y-S-S-E-Y, odysseyteams.com. Uh, we got our Instagram and our LinkedIn and all that stuff. We don't have TikTok yet, but we're contemplating. Um, and find us on our social, uh, of course. And, you know, any podcasts that are out there. I've got a TED Talk that's out there. It's a, it's old, but uh, it's a, there's some good stuff there. Really good stuff there. And you have a podcast called You Go First. So if you go to yougofirst.live, you can catch Lane there and some of his awesome guests. So thank you so much for investing your awesome energy, your positive outlook, and your generous spirit. Oh man, Shannon, it's a privilege to get to be here. Our OG takeaway tip, how to apply what we've learned to our own work and lives. Lane shared so many inspirational lessons. Let's pull out three of the psychological lessons he taught us and consider how to activate them in our own lives. Speaking of activating, let's focus on item number one, RAS, Reticular Activating System. 
What the RAS really does is connect the subconscious part of our brain with the conscious part of our brain. The reticular activating system is a bundle of nerves in our brain stem that filter out all the unnecessary information so the important stuff gets through. The RAS is the reason that we learn a new word and then we start hearing it everywhere. It's why you can tune out a crowd full of talking people, yet immediately snap to attention when someone says our name or something that sounds like it. Ever shop for a certain kind of car and then all of a sudden every highway and parking lot is filled with them? Is that a coincidence? Let's practice this now. Look around the room or wherever you are and look for the color black. What do you see that's black? Notice that? You're starting to zone in on and focus on all the things that are black. What the RAS does is bring to light what we're looking for. This can really help us on our journey of generosity. As generous leaders, we can talk about the word hope, for example. I hope people will be treated with fairness and justice. I hope new team members will feel included and engaged. I hope our team members know that I would be happy to help them. I hope people will give me feedback when I'm being less than my best self. But when we use the word like hope, there's a lot of room for doubt floating around. We could change that to want, but that still wouldn't work. Like I want team members to feel included and engaged. I want people to give me feedback. Again, the door of doubt is still open. It's wishful and out of our hands. However, when we use words like intend and must and will consciously, it takes away the doubt and kicks the RAS into high gear. It helps us start filtering out the things that will help us with the intention. So the conscious mind brings that into our subconscious mind so that we start to see and hear and understand the things that will help us to get what we're intending. So how do we do this? Number one, first think of a goal or situation that you want to influence. Number two, think about the experience or result that you want to reach in regards to that goal and situation. And number three, create a mental movie of how you would picture that goal or situation ideally working itself out into the future. Notice the sounds, the conversations, the visuals, the details of that mental movie. Replay it often in your head and see what happens. Item number two that Lane mentioned is positive confirmation bias. According to the American Psychological Association, confirmation bias is the tendency to look for information that supports rather than rejects one's preconceptions typically by interpreting evidence to confirm existing beliefs while rejecting or ignoring any conflicting data. That's a lot, so let me say that again. Confirmation bias is the tendency to look for information that supports rather than rejects any preconceptions typically by interpreting evidence to confirm existing beliefs while rejecting or ignoring any conflicting data. In other words, if we believe something is true, it may actually be true or our belief makes it true. Then we seek to find evidence of our belief. People tend to look for the positive evidence that confirms a hypothesis is true rather than information that would prove it to be false, even if it is false. How about you? What's something that you have confirmation bias around? Is it helping you and enabling you to stay the course and true to your beliefs? Or is it hurting you and preventing you from getting the success that you ultimately want? How can we hack the system and feed ourselves beliefs that will enable us to be congruent with who we really are and live out our core values? The third and final item is our hardwiring for collaboration and connection. We are born to collaborate. 
pack and herd animals. We are safer, stronger, smarter, and happier together. Science has proven it. And it's contrary to what we often hear and are taught. Sometimes our toughest competition, or so it feels, are our own peers, friends, and colleagues. Simon Sinek shared this thought on leadership. He said that there are finite games and infinite games. A game of soccer, tennis, baseball, basketball, those are all finite games. There are rules and roles like referee, players, coaches, and ultimately there are winners and losers. Business, however, is an infinite game. Winning means that we get to perpetuate the game, keep it going, keep playing. If we help our peer, the success will cascade further and we get to continue to play the game. What if instead of feeling like everything is a game with winners and losers, we look for opportunities to support each other and collaborate. Often our games are set up with metrics and KPIs, key performance indicators, that make us feel like it's a finite game. What influence do we have to change the game and contribute to the system? Let's reprogram our psychology to help us achieve greatness. We can do so by focusing on something positive that we want to influence and play out the mental movie in our minds. Let our reticular activating system help us filter out the noise and find ways to make the impact. We can enable our confirmation bias to prove us right. We grow when we give. We are better together. Seek proof of these things in your life this week. Lastly, let's engage with others more this week. We are wired for connection, collaboration, and community. Allow your natural human forces to assist your desire for teamwork and the speed of trust. So if the action learning sessions that Lane explained sound like something your team would enjoy, please reach out to Odyssey or me directly. It's the best way to change your team and the world. So until next week, knock them alive and stay generous, everyone. Thanks for listening to ROG, Return on Generosity podcast. Please help us grow by subscribing and reviewing us on your favorite podcast player. And for more information, visit bridgebetween.com. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give.